Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to TIPCO's Ask the SOA Expert podcast. I'm your host, Rob Meyer. Purpose of this podcast series is to give you best practices and solutions to help you be successful with SOA. Now, today's podcast is about service virtualization, which is a relatively new term in SOA. And with us today to talk about service virtualization is Raghu Tiagarajan, the Director of Product Management for SOA at TIBCO. Raghu, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rob. Excited to be here. Raghu, what is service virtualization? The best way to start talking about service virtualization is to look at how virtualization is being used by IT today in the enterprise. Two terms that spring to mind are grid computing and network-attached storage, which help people do computing virtualization or resource virtualization and storage virtualization. The idea behind that is that people using these resources can use them as local resources without being aware of the location or the physical implementation of how this computing or storage resource is being offered up. That concept parlays very well into SOA. And the idea is that using service virtualization, you can actually now implement multiple kinds of service technologies and services in different languages and be able to define or create those services be able to manage and deploy them, and consume those services as though they were one kind of service. And what are the actual benefits of using service virtualization? From the developer perspective, abstracting away the underlying infrastructure, the transactions, the security, the policies of how services are implemented, allows the service developer to focus on simplifying and creating standardized services without having to focus on some of this low-lying detail. From an administrator's perspective, It allows the system administrator to look at a composite application built out of many services in many languages as one single logical virtual application and start and stop and deploy these services from a service-centric perspective as opposed to an application-centric perspective. So the developers just get to focus on writing that core business logic. What's some of the extra code that they write? A lot, in fact. Let's suppose you write a service or a class in Java or .NET. For instance, let's say submit purchase order. To turn it into a service, you have to write another class that wrappers it, that receives requests and calls the class. You have to write some code to handle the digital certificates and WS security. You have to add code to handle policy management. This adds up to about 30 to 40% extra code, and it's complexity that the developer shouldn't have to handle. And so the better approach is? Why not just write the submit purchase order class and deploy and manage this, just this code? It turns out you can. We call this a service container. What's a service container? It's a managed container designed to host services, just like an application server container. Like an EJP container was designed to host application logic. Now, a service container could be running Java, .NET, or Java E. It could be an orchestration engine. What makes a service container different is that it makes the communication location policies of the services managed. They're no longer in the code. Another concept that's really emerging today in the way people are designing services and implementing them is the idea of inversion of control containers, such as Spring. With inversion of control containers, the developer no longer needs to focus on the way that the services are created and invoked. That is delegated to the container itself. Likewise, a service container utilizes that same concept of inversion of control in order to invoke services, not just within that container itself, but across containers across the network. So is this replacing an application server? Uh, No. An application server in the traditional sense is based on implementing business components in one language, C Java or C Sharp. 
So if your SOA environment is going to comprise services built in one language, yes, you should be using an application server. However, if your SOA application has services that are implemented in multiple programming languages, and some of those implementation techniques aren't hosted in managed containers, you lose the ability to deploy, provision, and scale those services. Pretty soon, your enterprise SOA architecture is limited to a small set of environments that are manageable. In addition, you are now exposed to different deployment and management styles based on the component types you've implemented. To address that challenge, a service container builds on the idea of application containers but adds some significant enhancements. What are some of the improvements? One of the key things that differentiates service containers from application containers is you can have service containers that support many languages and many implementation types. Another difference is that the service bus and the ability to on-ramp onto an enterprise service bus is baked right into the service container itself. A third differentiator is the fact that policy enforcement is built right into the service container, unlike a traditional application container. In addition, service containers have this ability of inversion of control that we discussed. And the last point I would say is that service containers provide consistent deployment and management across a range of implementation types of services. So if I understand this, you're basically allowing different application servers or different runtimes to plug into this common framework, this common architecture. What does that plug look like? And are there standards that are needed to make this actually work across different vendors? Yes, you could actually implement a proprietary framework in order to plug in. But TIPCO has chosen to go with standards. And there are two relevant standards in the space. Service Component Architecture, or SCA, from a design perspective, and Java Business Integration, or the JSR 208 standard, from a physical deployment and management perspective. Now, JBI, or Java Business Integration, is a standard for plugging these containers into a common bus or message router. It's not something that a customer would see. It's used mainly by ISVs to interoperate, and we use it to plug containers into our core framework and package, deploy, and manage services. On the other hand, SCA is a set of specifications that developers would use when they're building services. It's not yet a standard, but we have a lot of momentum in that standards body. Basically, it describes how to annotate or put notes into your code to describe the services and their dependencies so that these services can now be assembled together by an enterprise architect, regardless of the language that they were actually implemented in. So for us, a service container wrappers the application server or other engine using JBI and SCA. And what do you call this core framework? We call it a service grid. It's a distributed framework that provides services for each container, like policy management, communication, transactions, coordination services, and service management. It also deploys and manages applications and individual services to each container and hides the fact that containers and services are running in different places. So I can plug existing application servers into this grid? Absolutely. In fact, doing so allows your existing business logic to leverage a number of service virtualization capabilities, such as location transparency and policy implementations. Support for J2E and .NET has been a first-class goal of our service virtualization platform. Any recommendations for customers on how they should be thinking about virtualization or getting ready for it? Absolutely. The first recommendation is start simple. If you build a framework today that lets you write just your services logic, you can easily adopt a service virtualization platform. In addition, you can use service virtualization for new services 
and also start to migrate some of your existing capabilities over time. As with any other part of SOA, you can start with a lever and layer philosophy and incrementally add on. Great. Well, thanks for all that information, Raghu, and thanks for being here today. Thanks a lot, Rob. That's Raghu Tiagarajan, Director of Product Management for SOA at TIBCO, and I'm Rob Meyer. If you have any questions about this or any other podcast, you can email us at soa at tibco.com. Thanks for listening to TIBCO's Ask the SOA Expert.